to Acts chapter 9. Now, let me bring you up to date on what, where we're at. Last week, we're in Acts chapter 9, verse uh, 32. I'm not going to read all that again. Let me just give you a little summary. The context is Saul or Paul, I'll kind of, I'll say Paul, has been converted. Acts chapter 9, Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Uh, he was heading to Syria with orders from the top dogs uh, in the Pharisaical Sanhedrin, and he was going after Christians. He was persecuting them. Galatians 1, where he gives us a little snippet of his testimony, he says that he tried to destroy the church, and that's what he's on. And the Lord Jesus Christ met him dramatically, visibly, physically, uh, on that Damascus road, and he had a dramatic conversion and was struck blind, and the Lord led him to uh, Ananias and had to tell Ananias, hey, this guy that's uh, uh, a known uh, you know, instigator of persecution, because if you remember at the death of Stephen a few chapters uh, before that, he's standing there holding their coats, and he was kind of behind that whole murder or martyrdom of Stephen. So Saul is certainly a player in trying to destroy the church, and just especially, you know, again, the and believers. And so he has this dramatic conversion, and uh, he's ministering now, and people are skeptical, should be, and uh, his old buddies uh, want to kill him. So they let him out over the, the wall there in Damascus to escape, and he heads back to his hometown to Tarsus, and we're not going to hear from him for a little while. And so then we switch gears, and now we're with Peter. Peter, uh, of course, uh, some uh, as, the, as the chief apostle, he wasn't the pope, but the chief apostle with Christ, and now we see him and the ministry that he has. He's not in Jerusalem because their persecution in Jerusalem against the believers and especially the leaders. How big a prize do you think it would be to get Peter? big prize, right? I mean, it would be like when we, you know, got Osama bin Laden. You get the top guy, and to get Peter would be a big deal. So Peter is no fool. He's, he's getting out of there, but as he's, as he's traveling, uh, he's ministering the gospel and sharing Christ. And so he comes to a, a, a town by the name of Lydda, and uh, Lydda is northwest of Jerusalem, not quite to the coast, and it's there that he uh, encounters a, a believer by the name of Ananias, and Ananias has been paralyzed for about eight years. Peter prays for him, and guess what happens? Ananias gets up, and he's healed, and everybody is like, wow, you know, they're excited, and it opens the door. That healing opens the door for people to hear the gospel. God has all different ways to open doors, doesn't he? Jesus fed multitudes. It's hard for people to hear truth when their stomachs are growling. And so he fed them, and that gave them a, a, like, who is this man? So this opened the door for the gospel, which is always the intent by uh, healing or, or any actions like this. It's always the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. And so Peter travels a little further uh, all the way to Joppa. Do you remember hearing about Joppa in the Bible? Remember a guy named Jonah many years before was running from God and he caught a ship down in Joppa? So here we have Joppa, which is on the coast, and Peter is brought into this uh, believers who are meeting in an upper room, uh, a different upper room, and they uh, take him to this woman uh, who is dead. Her name is Tabitha. They already have the women and the folks out. They're, essentially what Peter walks into is a funeral service. 
you read it, he's walked into a funeral service. They're wailing, they're, they're mourning the death of this sister in the church, and they just uh, can't believe that she's dead. And in Jewish uh, fashion, they have to bury the body before sunset. So she is dead by all. And people say, well, is she really dead? Well, they're having a funeral service for somebody, and she's laying there dead. So I guess that they assume that she's dead, all right? So what does Peter do? If you read the passage, he tells everybody to get out. And I love that because Peter's not there to make himself look like some big, you know, healing evangelist or some big shot with the miracle man in power. He tells everybody to get out of the room. Now, another way to look at that is he tells all these, all the folks that were there, they were wailing and crying. And if you're going to, if you're going to exercise a little faith, let me hear, here's a little tip. Get the faithless out of the room right? If, if I'm sick in bed, or let's just say if I'm near whatever, if I'm dead, please let me, don't come after me. Just let me, I'm like Paul, let me go, all right? But up until that point, and you're praying for me, I want people to pray for me that actually believe this stuff, right? All right, so there's all sorts of reasons we can speculate. He tells them all to get out of the room, and I love this. He doesn't scream and yell. He doesn't do the Jericho march around her, around her corpse. You know what he does? He kneels and he just says her name, Tabitha, arise. You see, because the power had nothing to do with Peter. The power was in Christ. Amen? Amen? And we got to get this focus on us and realize that as born-again believers, all ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we all have access to Jesus. You've heard me say this all the time. When you say, can you say a little special prayer? I don't have special prayers. I got prayers to Jesus just like you do. I have no more quick access than you do. If you're born again and filled with the Spirit of God, listen, you can pray just as effectively as and you put a, whoever's name you want to put on it, okay? So the power and, and what we're doing doesn't have anything to do with us. It's in, it's in Him. It's in Christ. I was going to share this later. I mentioned uh, last week, some of you may know the name or not know the name of John Wimber, John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard uh, Church Movement. And, you know, Vineyard, just like Baptist, or anyone, there's a lot of variety and things with that. But I love John Wimber because he had such a passion and heart for Jesus. And he really just, uh, and I, I'll tell the story again because I just, I think it's so funny, is that after he became, uh, John Wimber played the saxophone for the Righteous Brothers. And he had a very growing musical career and God saved him. And he just wanted to serve Christ and know where all that was in the 60s. And he and his wife, Carol, uh, they, just, they just began going to churches. And he went into the one church, and this is just a funny story. And he went to this one church, and, and afterwards he went up to the pastor and uh, was meeting the pastor. And he said, Pastor, uh, when do we start doing the stuff? The pastor looked at him and, what stuff? You know, the stuff that's in the Bible. When, when do we start praying for people and seeing demon people you know, delivered and seeing the saved uh, come to Christ and the miracles and things like this. He said, when do we start doing the stuff? And the pastor said, oh, oh we, don't, we don't do that here. And later Wimber said, I gave up drugs for this? I love that. I mean, like, wait a minute. Now, again, when you start talking about miracles and healing, I realize there's all sorts of different things we have to qualify about, all right? But what I want to do is, and what I tried to do last week is when, and this is the great thing, is when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, we come to a passage that has to do with healing. So guess what I'm going to preach on? Tithing. 
right? No, you just... And you know what well, the wonderful thing is? It's not up to me to constantly try to balance all the topics and things because I'm kind of like a, a, a spiritual dietitian, meaning I want to make sure as a church that you have a healthy, well-balanced spiritual meal, not just on the Lord's Day, but in other aspects of the church. Wednesday nights, uh, we're learning uh, about the wonderful character of God in our David Jeremiah series. And so the wonderful thing about preaching through a book of the Bible is you just, you just, you just kind of take it as it comes. Now, we can approach this a couple of different ways. We can approach this and look back at what Peter did there and say, isn't that a wonderful, nice historical event? And guess what? It is a real historical event, right? Okay, there's no, that's not an issue there. But we're, we're sometimes caught in this and saying, well, is what Peter did, is that something, because remember Peter was what? He had a big A before his name. He was a what? He was an apostle. So uh, does that mean that we can duplicate what an apostle did? And here's my opinion, is no, in this sense. Is the apostles were unique, called 12 individuals. In fact, in the New Jerusalem, there's 12 stones in the wall of Jer- in the New Jerusalem for the 12 tribes, and guess what? There's 12 stones or 12, uh, yeah, 12, 12 stones for the 12. Uh, see, so that tells me there's a there's a certain permanency in their role. But here's the issue here: Does that mean that when it has to do with everything and what the apostles did? Because one of the things, like Jesus, when Jesus did miracles. Jesus did miracles for many different reasons. It showed the compassion of God. That certainly was... Remember, there's no medical. There's no Blue Cross, Blue Shield. I mean, there's, there's nothing. If you were sick with things that we get treated with, with, with over-the-counter drugs, you were dead. There was no hope. You're, if you were the man, if you were the head of the household, your livelihood, you, you could be gone, dead, and your family would be out begging. There was no social system. So do you think that God and His compassion... Uh, wouldn't uh, do something to help alleviate that in some way. So that's what I mean by showing the compassion of God uh, to people. And Jesus, certainly by doing miracles, there was a lot of people that came through and said they're messiahs, still do today, don't they? Don't drink the Kool-Aid. They're not, almost, they're not messiahs, all right? Uh, but you raise somebody from the dead, how about this? You yourself walk out of a, of a grave, guess what? You got my attention. I'm impressed. I want to know more. And so Jesus did miracles to authenticate that he was truly the Messiah, the Son of God. You with me? Because you know, if you close your eyes and sleep and doze, I'll just go longer, all right? So an amen every once in a while is helpful. So Jesus, thank you, all right? You just got three minutes. Uh, so Jesus demonstrated that he was indeed the Son of God, and it was compassion. It was, so there's all things there that are unique with Christ. The apostles were continuing that work, and they were demonstrating the continuation. That's why we call this series Unfinished, because in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the Luke, the author of the book of Acts, wrote about those things that Jesus began to do and to teach. So we're continuing to some degree in the mission of Christ even today. We're an outflow. There's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but we're chapter 29. The book of Acts is still continuing in the work of the gospel and the, the uh, expansion of the kingdom of God, and we're, we're a part of that as a body of Christ, as others are around us in our world. And so when we come to this, we're kind of in this tension 
with, well, did that just, are we just looking back at a historical record so we really shouldn't pray for the sick? We shouldn't certainly expect anybody to be healed for the sick. And I look at it this way, then why pray about anything at all? Right? Why pray about, I mean, I mean, there's a, there's a I think it's in Mark 9, 8, somewhere in there. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on that mountain, and they saw Elijah and Moses. Remember that? You know what was going down on the, other, on the bottom of the mountain? You have the disciples in an argument with a woman and her child who needs healing. And what's the argument about? The woman says, as Jesus and these disciples came down, and they were like me, I'd be like, hey, can we go back up the mountain and leave the problems down here? I mean... You know, like, but you know what? Guess what? Christian life isn't living on the mountain, is it? You got to deal with real stuff. And they came down, and the woman said, Look, I'm trying to get your disciples to do something about my sick child, but they are not able. And that's, that's a time that Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. I'm not making that up. That's a real story, okay, in case you're, you're kind of silent there. Um, and I said this kind of a little bit more last week. One of the things that is important to understand in Acts chapter 1 is that when Jesus ascended, it was more than just Jesus disappearing, but Jesus ascended, because we have other scriptures that help us, is that Jesus ascended to a throne. Okay, There is an aspect in which we are waiting for the literal, physical, bodily return of Jesus. Okay, That's Bible. Okay, There's, There may be disputes about timing and when or whatever, but one of the things that Christians who love Christ and love the Word of God don't dispute is Jesus' return. Okay, we we believe that. But in we're in the in-between now. We're in the in-between. Does that mean we just kind of have to ride out hell until Jesus physically returns? Or if Jesus has ascended victorious, taking captives captive, uh, captivity captive, and, and has defeated the powers of darkness, and he's presently at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning presently, does that have any benefit to us right now, here and now? You bet it does. You bet it does. And every time you pray, Every time you believe, every time you have an expectation, you're, you know, we don't talk a lot about it because some folks have kind of taken it and run off in, a, in, a, in crazy land when we talk about the authority of Scripture. It isn't just for you to name it and claim it and get a new Mercedes, okay, and do all the, some of this. And so a lot of times, you know what we do? We tend, to, we tend to be careful about saying certain words, but that's too bad because there is a biblical authority that, that we have been given. It's not based on how much we can Work it up. It's based on who Christ is and his present rule and authority right now. So when we talk about praying for anything, not just sick, you know what we're doing? We're praying under the present rule and authority of Jesus and his kingdom right now, presently right now. Does that mean we're always going to see everything completely? No, but there will be a day in which God will give us a new body. It'll be a new heaven. It'll be a new earth. We look for that as third day talks about that glorious day. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that our hope? That this isn't all it there is? That we look forward to that wonderful, glorious day? Here's a newsflash. Tabitha, she was healed by Peter, right? Raised from the dead. Are we all in agreement? Guess what? Tabitha died. Lazarus, remember him? Four day, when in four days? Old King James talks about his body stinketh because decay, all right? Guess what? 
Mary and Martha, his brother, his two sisters, guess what? One day they had a funeral for Lazarus, I assume, if one didn't go before him. Guess what? Lazarus died. See, that's, that's where we're caught in this in-between. So when we talk about the kingdom and the benefits of the kingdom, we're only seeing, we're only seeing a little bit of, you could say it this way, down payments. We're seeing flashes of things that will be in their completeness, future, but right now, we look through that glass Paul talks about in Corinthians. We look through that glass, and it's, it's, it's dim. It, it's, it's not clear. We, we uh, to use maybe another analogy. We're, we're like the man that was healed by Jesus when he spit in the ground, spit in his hand, put some mud, and put his eyes. And his first response is, I see men walking as trees. See, we're, we're still in, we're not, we don't see everything perfect, but guess what? 1 Corinthians, is it chapter 14, says when the perfect has come, and I don't believe that's the Bible, even though I believe the Bible's perfect, but if you read the next few verses, it talks about when we will see face to face. This book doesn't have a face. Who has a face? Who will we see face to face? When that which is perfect has come. It's talking about Christ. You can't, you can't wiggle your way out of the... And I know that probably doesn't matter you know, to some of you, but here's the issue here. Um, we want to be balanced, right? I, I, as I said last week, I don't, I don't want any less or more than what the Word of God gives us, not only as believers or as a church, right? Do you? Is there, I mean, this is not a buffet. We want everything. I want everything that Christ would have us to have as a, as a people and as a church. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to get some things out of whack here, out of whack there. But let us keep saying, look, we want to continue to move forward into striving, striving in a, in a gracious way to be the people and to be the church that God would have us to be. Not just say we're a healing community in theory. Yes, we have a book on healing theory we would like to give you. Listen, when somebody's broken, depressed, and, and ill, and dying, and going to the doctor, and they got a bad report, they don't need you to hand them a theology book. They need somebody who's going to stand with them. And look, forget healing, and if that, if that, just pray for them, right? That's all we're talking about, praying for them. Just like if they had a wayward prodigal daughter or son, what would you do? Well, sorry, but, you know, too bad all that was way back then. And we're just, we just, the Bible's a great history book, but we can't really expect any of those things. Now, there's lots of limitations. There's lots of caveats. There's lots of parameters theologically we have to handle. But if you hear nothing else, hear this. I believe that God wants to encourage us, and there is a place where we should believe and expect uh, to pray, not only for healing in our own lives, but healing in other people. And I, I believe there's a balance there, okay? And so this morning, just to pick up and continue from last week, I want to give you several real practical things uh, concerning this uh, about healing and praying for the sick. So the title of the message is the same as last week. It's keeping the balance on divine healing. Divine healing is what God does, all right? That's what God does. And we just want to say, we just want to position our, ourselves in obedience. That's really all we're talking about. When you share, just as I said, if, if healing is tripping up, take sharing the gospel. When you share the gospel, you're totally dependent on the Spirit of God to save somebody. It's not about you. You're just being obedient to, as Philip did, as we looked several weeks back when he came up on that Ethiopian eunuch, that little phrase, and Philip opened his mouth. Sometimes we just need to open our mouth and Share and tell about the hope that is within us. So hear me. It's all depending upon 
Christ. It's not us turning into some extremists or, or getting out of balance, but it's saying, what can we learn? What is a balanced approach? So let me share with you uh, some very practical things. And these are not original. I pulled these from several different people, but uh, one, one writer who I really, really love, and you've heard me quote him before, is a guy named R.T. Kendall. Anybody ever read anything by R.T. Kendall? See, I tell you these things, so when you're out shopping for books, you're not buying every day's a Friday stuff. You're buying some things that have some content, has some balance to it. R.T. Kendall is a, is a tremendous, he's a Reformed theologian and great guy, great guy, and has a balanced view of word and spirit uh, for our approach. So let me give you the, and again, I'm going to try not to belabor these things. We're going we're to be done with this today and move on. And you can get last week's where we went into some things a little more. Number one is, here's just, these are just principles, okay? Say principles, all right? And so uh, they're, just, they're just ways that we can kind of work around this a little bit, uh, principles for healing today. Number one is this, is that God can use anyone in the ministry of healing. Let me, and if ministry makes you nervous, just put this way. God can use anyone to pray for someone for healing, because again, it's just, it's, just, it's just saying, God, you do this in this life. This be your will. Do this in this person's life. You see, God has given us not only a structural authority because uh, the apostles operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're continuing in the work of Christ. And we see some, some continuation in this way because James 5 talks about that if any of you are sick, he didn't say now, if an apostle is with you, you can do this. He's saying in James 5, if any of you, if any among you are sick, let them call the elders. Elders are just people, leaders in the church. Let them call to pray, right? And it says about, it talks about the prayer of faith, and then it says, and the Lord will raise them up. So, you know, that we have that little bit of tension there. So there is a continuation, but God can use anyone. You remember, if you just, you don't have to turn to it, it's, the, it's previous there in chapter 9, verse 10, with this guy named Ananias. We don't know anything else about Ananias except for the little slot that he's given there in Acts chapter 9. All it says about Ananias in verse 10 of chapter 9 of the book of Acts is he's just a disciple. You know what a disciple is? It wasn't, capital, it wasn't like he was part of the 12. It just means a follower. He was a follower of Jesus. Where is he living? He's living in Syria. He's living in Damascus. He's unknown. But God uses him to do what? To lay hands on Saul, who would be an apostle. And by him laying hands on the apostle Paul, on Saul, guess what? He's healed. Okay? He's healed. So Ananias, he's just a regular guy. Don't feel like that you've got to send $25 for a special prayer for somebody to do something that God has equipped you as a believer to do. Don't get into that nonsense. You don't have to give a seed faith. You just have to pray and leave God with the consequences. Secondly, principle is it is right that we should pray for the sick. Some of these familiar. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said in Luke 10.19, I've given you authority 
to trample, there it is, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all of the power, all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. He says, I've given you this authority. This authority is my authority. It's not you working something up. It's, it's my authority. And 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks a lot about the spiritual gifts, in there, there's something called, some will have the gift of healing. I, I, you know, again, there's, you can read, I can stack up 13 books, and they'll have 13 different ways, views of what that means. But in context, it means this is that part of the spiritual gifting of the body, because if you read a little further there, uh, after he talks about gifts of healing in uh, chapter 12 and around verse 9, you read a little further, it says, and the Holy Spirit distributes as he wills the, the gifts in the church. So didn't you trying to, so the Holy Spirit is the one that determines the giftings in the body. You with me? So if Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth, and he knows that, well, this is really only something apostles can do, but I'm going to kind of pull their leg and make them think it's something that they can, but I know really it's not. And that's, does that make sense? Does that mean we're all running around as apostles? No, it's saying, but within the body of Christ, just that there are various giftings, part of this gifting, I believe there are individuals that are gifted. I'm not talking about faith healers. I don't believe in faith healers. I believe in healing but I believe there are those within the body of Christ that God has burdened and given a certain, uh, uh, may I say, empowerment to believe unusually for someone regarding physical healing. I just believe that because I think it's in context of chapter 12. Does that mean that they have to wear a white suit and start throwing jackets and doing all sorts of histrionics and whatever. See, that's where we get a little discouraged is when we see all this drama and stuff and we're like, where's that in the Bible? Where is it just Peter knelt down and Tabitha, rise up? You see, because it's just, it's, it's Jesus' power. It's not me trying to be some something I'm not. Thirdly, no case is too difficult for God. God can cure cancer, Lori, correct? Right? Wave your hand. That's a woman who's been healed of cancer. Do you think Lori's a big liar and trying to start her own ministry? <laughs> she's telling the truth. She's, you know, and there's other of you, others of you that God has done this. God can, heal, God can cure cancer as easily as he can cure a cold. What Jesus did in person, remember when Jesus said, it's better that I leave you so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now, does he really mean better, or is he just kind of better, wink, wink, like you're, not, you're going to be worse off? I'm just asking you. He says it's better because you have me with you, but when the Holy Spirit comes, I will be in you. Is that better? Number four, if we don't pray for the sick, we will probably never see people healed. Now, can God sovereignly, of course, but, but I think this is pretty consistent, right? If we don't pray for anybody to be healed, then we probably are not going to see anybody. Uh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. You know that. God does not limit it in how he can heal but also believe that there's something that in, uh, in our 
in our understanding of Scripture. There's something called common grace. That means uh, the sun and the rain, they benefit believers or, uh, and unbelievers both, right? Uh, hospitals, which the modern medical hospital movement, if you study it out, guess who that was started by? Christians. That's why so many hospitals have Christian names identify with these hospitals, even though it's a big corporate thing. So Christians have never been adverse to medicine, all right? But so you have the sovereignty and you have the common grace in which doctors and medicine, and God can also heal through the proclamation of the gospel because when truth is proclaimed, the presence of Christ is is honored, and guess what? You have an, a place, an environment in which God can move and God can work. But if we don't make prayer for healing available at Grace Church, then we will probably not see anybody healed. Now, we didn't do it today, but one of the things that we have, those of you who are guests, one of the things that we have incorporated in our worship service is during the worship service, we have prayer where uh, myself or one of our two elders are during, down front. They're not here and making a show. We're just, we're just quietly off to the side. Many of you come up and, and, and ask for prayer during that time. And I believe that's consistent with what uh, a healthy church should do. We didn't do it, like I said, we didn't do it today because of our corporate communion, all right? Number five, remember, only God heals. You think, well, that's profound. Of course, because we need to be reminded. Here's why. It's because it's not in you laying on of hands. James 5 talks about oil. There must be something special in that oil. If you call right now, I will send you the special healing oil that we got from the Holy Land. How many of you ever seen that kind of stuff? Shameful. Prayer. Shameful. Shameful stuff preying upon the ignorance of believers to think there's anything in that that somehow there's power in that. No, the power is that God does it. God heals. Uh, I mentioned to you um, uh, John Wimber, and, and, and as I said, there's a lot of things John Wimber, just like me or anybody, you know, nobody's perfect. But I love something I read about John Wimber. He, uh, he, would, he taught, he was trying to blend being balanced in word and being balanced in spirit. How do, how, do we, how, do we, how do we do this? And one time somebody asked him because he would uh, teach about the kingdom of God and he did uh, where he taught about prayer and sometimes, you know, he taught about healing and those things. And somebody asked him one time, said, uh, when you pray, before you pray for the sick, do you spend a lot of time in prayer and fasting? Now, if you don't know anything about John Wimber, his sarcasm is something I enjoy. And they said, you must pray and fast and just, you know, belabor to be able to come and pray. And John Wimber says, no, I usually have a Diet Coke. <laughs> now, that may seem sacrilegious, but here's, what he's, here's his point. He was making a point. It has nothing to do with me. All I'm doing is facilitating the power of God when I pray for somebody. That's all you're doing, right? So have a Diet Coke. Remember in, uh, later we'll look at it over in Acts chapter 14. And if you know anything about Wimber, you know he prayed and fasted. He was, just, he was really trying to shatter this super Christian evangelist, type of person where you've got people up here 
and everybody else down here. I think the Reformation had something to do with that about 500 years ago, to abolish that false dichotomy. In Acts 14, we'll uh, get to this, but Paul and Barnabas are out sharing the gospel, and God uses them to heal somebody. And it's in uh, Lystra. These were all pagans. They, they didn't know Jews. They're not Jews. They're all pagans. And so they see Paul and Barnabas heal this guy. And you know what they start doing? They start shouting that the gods are with us and that Zeus has now come and is one of us. You know what Paul and Barnabas? They tear their clothing, which is kind of that ancient kind of uh, symbol of, you know, of, of mourning, a reaction. And they pleaded with them and said, we, I love this. What did they just do? They could have started their big ministry. They could have gone on TV, started a mailing list, mailed out prayer cloths. They could have started big time in Lystra, okay? You know what they did? They said, stop, stop. We are mere men. I love that. We're mere men. Where are we at? Number 14? No. Number 6. We must overcome the fear of failure. Same thing when we talk about Jesus and the gospel. Number one issue is the fear. But the fear a lot of times is exaggerated because we're putting the fear on ourselves. Well, what if they ask me? I'm talking about sharing the gospel. What if they ask me something I don't know? Here's a, here's, here's a radical idea. Say, I don't know. <laughs> right? But a lot of times we're afraid to pray for somebody because we think, what if I pray and God doesn't heal them? Well, what if you do pray and God does? Or what if you don't pray and God... You, you see, just do it. Leave the results and the things with God. And don't fear in thinking that somehow I've got to get myself up to this place to be able to pray. Just pray for them. Just share the gospel. Just do what Jesus said and leave all the consequences and results with him. Number seven, we must never, this is important, guys, we must never make people feel guilty if they are not healed. See, I think that's where some teaching in the church has gotten way out of balance because we've said if God doesn't heal you, it must be a lack of... Think about Go through and look at the places and events where Jesus healed people. Some of them didn't even know who he was. Remember the blind man? One of the blind men? He didn't even know who he was because when he was interrogated by the religious people, because he healed on the Sabbath. Terrible. Terrible. He said, look, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was once blind and now I see. And I wanted to say, I wanted to add in there, I wanted him to say, go do your job. Figure out who he is, you know. So Jesus and the apostles never, I mean, those passages we read, I mean, Tabitha, how much faith did she exercise? Just curious. <laughs> Little, lot. Do you realize that Paul had companions that were not healed? Do you realize that? The apostle Paul, man of faith and power, 
Well, Trophimus, over in Acts uh, 20, uh, it says, um, uh, he's somebody that's mentioned Acts 20, but in 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul, referring to Trophimus, he said that he left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Well, we need a new apostle. He's not doing his job. He left him sick. What does that tell you? Paul didn't mean everybody he, he prayed for. What He left him sick. Epaphroditus, that's a good name for your new child, grandchild. He accompanied Paul, and in Philippians 2.27, Paul, referring to Epaphroditus, said, Indeed, Epaphroditus was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not in him also, but also in me to spare sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, he almost died, and Paul said, but I'm glad I intervened. No, God did. Timothy, remember Timothy? his son in the faith. He writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23. He said, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Paul, why, I've never heard such falsehood. You should tell him he just lacks faith. No, he says, you got a headache? Take a Tylenol. (laughs) Nothing real spiritual about it. Take that little tile on so I thank you, Jesus, for giving the genius of people to make this stuff. Some of you have medicine and had treatments that you are alive here today or have affected the healing of chronic pain that are because God gave wisdom and knowledge. Number eight, affirm the least thing God does. What do I mean by that? If a person can't grow a new arm, don't feel like you failed. If you can't raise the dead, and let me just say, you probably won't. You probably won't. So don't don't set that bar so high. Could, probably won't. But if you pray for somebody who has migraines, shingles, bone spurs, infection, To that person, is that kind of, well, you know. There are those of you, and I won't call you out because I just, I don't want to embarrass you, but I know many of you are here, and you have chronic pain all the time. You're in pain right now. You're in pain right now. And if God were to relieve you of, if you were out of work because you have the flu, If God were to heal you because of that flu that's taking away from your income and livelihood to be at work, is that something you just say, well, that's not a big deal. I'll just, that's a big deal. Wherever God is moving, celebrate what God is doing. Don't be like, well, that's not real dramatic. That testimony's not real dramatic. You know, they weren't on cops and got arrested and were on wanted post. No, they just, they were kind of a backslidden Christian that went to a Christian school. So, eh, that's not, that's not as big a deal. Listen, everything God does is a big deal. Amen? Does that make sense? God is at work. And wherever he does, celebrate grace. Celebrate grace. And I would just say that celebrate grace in one another's life. Quit having the bar so high with one another that you can't celebrate the smallest examples of grace in people's life. Is Sue, did she leave us or is she somewhere else? In the back serving, right? 
Is that right? I can't see you, so you say yes. She had to run an errand on Sunday morning. Well, I have just embarrassed her for everybody now. But see, Sue, if I'm going to embarrass anybody, Sue's a good one to embarrass because she's got a good sense of humor. When you see Sue Varela, say, how was that errand that you ran? All right? Are we all in agreement? All right? All right. All right. But you know what? Sue came today because uh, Sandy is away, Sandy Quarter, and uh, we, had a, we have an issue with our coffee pot that is dead, so if we need to pray for healing, we're all going to meet in the kitchen later on. Um, you know what Sue did? Didn't even think twice. Got in the car, went to Panera's, and got one of those things so we, people would have coffee. See, that, that's a celebration of grace. That's a celebration of a servant's heart. That's the reason I mention that, not to humiliate and embarrass her, as I probably would do. So I'll have to edit that out later. Uh, <laughs> number nine. Here we go. We're almost done. Number nine, pray, pray for anybody who asks to be prayed for. I said this last week, I'm sure, and I think maybe one of you gave me an example, but I've never in my life had anybody say, hey, can I pray for you? Or if somebody is sick or whatever, can I pray for you? And say, no, I don't really think so. They just, okay. I've prayed for people in Hobby Lobby and different places and wherever, you know, just no big dramatic. I didn't just pray, just like Peter, just quietly, because you know what you're doing? You're just... You're just accessing the power of God that belongs to God and praying for somebody. And so when somebody is sick or needs healing, and don't say, well, I'll pray for you, and then don't do it. It's better just to say, okay, (laughs) than to pray, write it down. There's these marvelous things called phones that you can make little notes or reminders in. i got little reminders of some people I don't even know. Now, don't don't think I'm super spiritual because I forget just like you do. Okay, but I'm just saying, sticky notes are a great thing. Make little notes. Do something to jar your memory. Uh, but again, pray for anybody who has to be prayed. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I use the example of the blind man. He didn't. He didn't ask. Jesus just did it. Um, so anybody who is willing to be prayed for, don't hesitate. I, I, this is maybe not directly connected, but something I read and it jumped out at me over in Genesis 47. When Joseph is introducing his father Jacob and his brothers before Pharaoh, I love this, in chapter 47, it says it two different times. Who's Pharaoh? Remember, he's that big, you know, ruler over Egypt that thinks he's a god, right? I mean, there's nothing. You know what Jacob did twice? It says twice in chapter 47. It says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I think that's pretty cool. Because he realized that Pharaoh... You're not a God. He didn't say that. But there's a God who wants to bless you that you don't know anything about. And Jacob, being a servant of God, blessed Pharaoh. Well, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. They're a Democrat. I'm not going to, I won't, don't do anything with them. Now, the rest of you are like, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. They're a Republican. No. I'm being funny, but pray for everybody. Because you know what you're doing? You're just saying, look, we are here to be salt and light, right? And last, remember that nobody ever truly deserves to be healed. Nobody deserves to be saved. You know the word we get gifts for in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, used six, eight times. 
is the word for gifts is charismata. That's the Greek word. So we talk about charismatic, it's from, it's, it's the word, Greek word charismata. And it means grace gifts. So if salvation is by grace and these gifts are grace gifts, that means any gifting we have is undeserved. It's a grace gift. It's a grace gift. It's supernatural giftings, not because of something good in us, but something that God in His mercy and pleasure gives to us. Now, this isn't a point, but I will make this note, is I believe in healing because I have seen it. I not only have seen it, but I am a beneficiary of divine healing. When I was about three and a half, almost four years old, uh, I was, uh, I was bleeding terribly, and they could not find the cause of the bleeding. And I remember snippets because I remember going to the hospital, Spahn Hospital in Corpus Christi, and I remember uh, being old enough to remember my brother antagonizing me about all this horrible stuff they're going to do to me when I get in there. I just, my brother Pat, he just loved doing that, you know, and, and uh, I remember that that it seemed like they had 10 interns in there. It was probably only a few because they had to literally hold me down to prick my finger to get blood. I was not cooperative, all right? I'm still not cooperative, all right? They don't have to hold me down, uh, at least most of the time. But anyway, um, and so they couldn't figure out where this bleeding was coming from. And they were going to have to do surgery. And my mom said it was the only time she ever saw my dad crying. Big old tough Marine. He went on the back porch. He had a broom handle, she said. And he snapped the broom over his knee just because sometimes men do stupid, crazy things in their emotions. They were believers. They prayed and they believed God and they said, well, we're going we're gonna to do one more test before we have to take him into surgery. And they did that one more test. Said, we don't see anything. Now, you know, cynics may say, well, you know, it's just something that coincidental. Yeah, you believe that if you want. I believe God healed me, right? And there's probably multiple times God has healed me that I didn't know about it. So, so here's just some final thoughts. Final thoughts and we'll wrap up. As I said, we can make a lot of mistakes when we come into this territory but there's more than one mistake we can make. One, we can make the mistake of, as I said earlier, not praying for, any, for healing at all. That's a mistake that I think is wrong. Secondly, we can make the mistake of telling people that God, um, God seldom heals today. I think that's an error. Because I think God does. And there's multi, even just within here, there's testimonies. That's a mistake. I think it's a mistake to say that all of that completely ended. Are there differences? Are there from New Testament times? Sure, there's, there's, there's differences. There's emphases that are different, but I believe it is consistent just like praying for other things that we certainly can pray and believe that God, remember God is the healer, and ultimately it is God's purpose and His will. And sometimes just like what James says, that if you, any of you are going through trials, sometimes it's God allowing you to go through that trial that is a testing of your faith that draws out your faith. Sometimes God will allow you to walk through a sickness uh, 
or what some you know physical issue, and and part of that is to press you and to draw out faith in God, and that that whether how God heals, whether it's immediate or 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 through a process or through med- whatever it doesn't matter, but through that through that process through that suffering. See, we don't have a real good. Um, sometimes understanding of suffering because we live in America and we're not supposed to suffer in America. Everything should be an entitlement and a right. But you go to other countries where believers gather and suffering is a big part of their, their theology and their life because they deal with it every single day. And so part of that suffering, that God, did, did God allow His own Son to suffer? Hello? We're just going to stop if you get that wrong. Of course he did. What was there a benefit in God's design? And see, that's sometimes hard for us to put together. So we don't want to tell people that God seldom heals today. That's that's incorrect. And I believe we can make a mistake by telling people that God always heals today in every circumstance. See, really, uh, that was number three. Uh, you see, here's where we're again. Let me just alleviate this burden. The only thing you need to say on God's behalf is God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you so you could believe in Him and live forever. And as a believer, He wants good things for His children. And some of the times those good things may come today or they may come ultimately. Paul said... To die is what? Is what? Yeah. Does that mean we'll walk around with a death wish? No. It just means that there's some things in this world that aren't going to be, they're not going to be put together all in one piece. Paul says, but there's coming a day which all things will be made new, and that's our hope. But in this meantime, we are in this, we're in this tension of already and not yet. We're in this tension between what Jesus and who He is and how He's presently ruling and operating in the world today. And we see in part, we know in part, but when that which is perfect comes, we see Him face to face. And what we see in part today, we will see completely someday. Does that mean we just do nothing in the in-between? No. I think we follow as best we can. We look and follow patterns of how Jesus' followers in the New Testament did this. They had limitations. As I said with Paul, he had three guys named in the Bible that he couldn't do anything about. There are probably others. And so we follow Christ. One man prayed this way. One man prayed this way, Lord, if it be to your glory, heal suddenly. If it will glorify you more, heal gradually. If it will glorify you even more, may your servant remain sick a while. And if it will glorify your name still more, take them to yourself in heaven. You see, God is in control. And it's all about the glory of God, not the glory of man, not the glory of self. It's all that God would be glorified. And so however this works out in our life and church, 
make sure that however it's being done is that God is being honored, that God is being glorified, that God gets all the credit. You and I can do nothing. And I mentioned John Wimber, and I love something he said. He said, I would rather pray for a thousand people, even if only one gets healed, than not to pray for any and none gets healed.